0: we get to the final chapter we're going to see this incredible woman of faith at the end and lo and behold you'll find out that she is also part of the personification of wisdom so we we want to recognize this is a this is a concept now what the bible teaches us and what we looked at last time in proverbs chapter 8 is that the word of god declares that wisdom was with god at the beginning of creation And Colossians chapter 2, first three verses tell us that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we have this picture that wisdom personified is Christ. And if we can handle it, we can can see that in the example of the wise woman throughout the Proverbs. The wise woman becomes an illustration of, of Jesus and we talked a little bit before, one of the reasons why wisdom is described as a woman, and folly is as well, is because uh, grammatically they are feminine uh, uh, word, feminine nouns. So they, it's just natural that you would talk about them as her. So they just go on with that. Plus, you have the concept, right? What better vehicle to use to draw a man one way or another? That, right? It's been said that uh, man is the head, but woman is the neck. No? Am I wrong? Ladies, I don't care what you look at me like. You know as well as I do, you turn that head wherever you want it to go. And it's always been that way. So it's interesting, if nothing else, to see that that idea. And we've seen it over and over again in the first eight chapters, where wisdom is in the street calling, saying, Come, and and I'll give you wisdom. And then you have the other, the woman of folly, who is calling men to elicit sexual adventures that lead to death. One is a promise of life, one is a promise of death. So tonight, we'll finish up that chapter, chapter 9, the end of a long introduction, and we'll actually start to enter into the Proverbs of Solomon when we get into uh, chapter 10, and we continue to work our way through. So, the end of the personification of wisdom in the introduction is going to be tonight. We've got 18 verses tonight we'll be taking a look at. Proverbs chapter 9. Let's take a, a read through it. It says, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread, drink of my wine that I have mixed "'Leave your simple ways and live. "'Walk in the way of insight. "'Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, "'and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. "'Do not reprove a scoffer, or he'll hate you. "'Reprove a wise man, but he will love you. "'Give instruction to a wise man, and he will become wiser. "'Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. "'For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom.' And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman of folly is loud. She's seductive, knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat in the highest places of the town. Calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there. And that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Let's pray. Father God, as we come to this section of Scripture, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes. Give us understanding, Lord, as we consider the banquet of wisdom and the banquet of folly. God, we pray that, that uh, Lord, we can see, that we can follow and, and recognize your truth as you guide us through this Scripture. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so we start with two banquets. As we go through the section, you can see two banquets. One banquet prepared by wisdom, one banquet prepared by folly. The goal of each banquet is to bring in the simple. A word for the simple is just somebody who doesn't know. Somebody who doesn't know, doesn't have understanding or discernment. Uh, The innocent is probably a good way to look at it. And so you have the innocent walking by and a picture of wisdom beckoning and a picture of folly beckoning. And what each one has to offer. So we see in the beginning in Proverbs 9, uh, we see the beginning of the invitation. First six verses really are the invitation from wisdom. Listen to what she says. Wisdom has built her house, she has hewn her seven pillars. Now, one of the things we want to recognize, twofold really, this this can be an allusion to creation. Uh, you don't have anything like this with folly. With wisdom, there's a house. With wisdom, it's big. Seven pillars. And we know seven is a number of perfection or completion. It can be an allusion to all of creation. Talking about, like we talked about last time, that wisdom was there at the creation of the world. Or we could just say it's a big, big house. Full of lots of rooms. Lots of places for people. Does that sound familiar? Did anybody else talk about a big place for us to be? Belong. Seems like that's something Jesus said, wasn't it? In fact, he said it in John 14, too. He said, In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? See, Jesus said the same thing. Wisdom's house is big, big enough for anyone who wants to come. So she has built her house and hewn her pillars. She has slaughtered her beast and mixed her wine. And she has set the table. She has prepared the banquet. Now one of the things we're going to see at the other banquet is all you have there is uh, stolen water and food eaten in secret. Someplace dark, someplace hidden. But here when we look at wisdom, wisdom says, no man, I, she's got meat. When it says slaughtered the beast, that I want to come. I am all carnivore. Yeah? you guys didn't know that about me, the other day, Kathy made dinner and she come out, I forget what it was. Maybe she'll remember, but it was meat roast. No lamb. We had lamb. So we have, she brings out this roast lamb comes out big on my plate, just covered with meat and gravy and potatoes. And then over on the corner, just in case was like one clump of Broccoli. Just in case, you know, I want to really live on the wild side and have some veggies. She, she had that on there. So when the, when wisdom says, I've slaughtered the beast, that, that's what I want to hear. You know, I, not that I won't go over and visit somebody who's a vegan. I will. I'll smile and eat the sticks and the leaves and all that stuff and talk about how marvelous it is. And then I'll go home and make a burger or something with meat in it. So wisdom slaughters the beast. She's making preparation. She's mixed her wine. Now there's a lot of concepts about this. It was not uncommon in the ancient world to to water down your wine, uh, adding water to it. But there's a lot of other things that could be being mixed in as well. Honey uh, was not unforeseen. But the idea was the, the wine symbol symbolized joy. Come, I've got meat. Which means this is going to be a very fine banquet. And I've got wine, the symbol of joy. So there's a lot of distinction that you're going to see between the two. Uh, I've got wine and the table is ready. The table is ready. Now, again, if if you think about this, you should be able to think of some places where you can say, I've heard this before. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1. It says, "Come, everyone who thirst, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. When we come to the Lord for His banquet, there's no charge No, there's no, there's no hassle. He, the the invitation is out. You just come, just show up. Come, buy and eat. What's He say? Buy wine and milk without money, without price." Still, joy and sustenance that's what you were talking about. joy and sustenance at the table of the lord in john six thirty five Jesus said this, "I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. The banquet table is set, right? The same thing that we see here for wisdom, but then in verse three, look, she had sent out her young women to call. From the highest places in town. So she issues an invitation. Now there's a big difference in the invitation. We'll look at that in the next three verses. But what I want you to recognize is that the point of these young women going out and inviting the simple man to come. Is that it's not some kind of illicit offer that we're going to see in the other example. Rather this is come. Invite young men not to bed but to school. Come learn. Come understand. Come grow. There's a, a point and a purpose because, guys, when we, when we <clears throat> follow wisdom, when we follow after Christ, one of the things that we're going to recognize, not is that there's, we have some kind of crazy hang-up on, on sex or sexual issues, but those things all have their place. They have their proper place where they belong and where they are to be enjoyed. And wisdom knows where that is. But the rest of the world wants to take it, cheapen it, throw it out there, and, and we see where that road leads. does not go to a place of life. So we have the difference between those invitations. Look at what they say. Now you see the same phrase when you see folly call. It says, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. So again, the idea for the simple, the one without discernment or the one who doesn't know better, The innocent person, I I use that loosely, okay? But the innocent person who needs to make a decision on which way they're going to go in life. Okay? So they're both after the same person. She, She gives this message. Come, eat and drink. Eat of my bread, drink of my wine, which I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. So the call is to leave your ignorance. Leave behind the road that you had been taken. Leave behind those examples. And now move forward. Move forward in the truth. Recognizing the truth. Now here's the struggle, guys, and we've talked about it over and over again. Proverbs chapter 15, we'll we'll talk about it again. There is a way that seems right to a man. Man's gonna come up and say, oh, Come on, this is how this should work. This is what we should do, this is how we should get there. But listen, what we have to understand and recognize about all mankind is that mankind is fallen. Mankind was created in the image of God. The image of God is effaced in every man. Every man, woman, and child is in the image of God, reflectors of God's image. That's how our lives are supposed to be led. But in that image, that image is effaced. It's not a race, it's a little bit messed up, but the fall has caused every aspect of us to fall. Not just certain things. When we're young, we think, oh no, I'm not falling. My my body works perfect. Yeah? Tommy was up on the mountain with us when we shot that elk, threw a quarter of an elk on his back, ran up to the top of the mountain, wasn't even tired. Let me just say, won't stay that way. He says, yes, it will. I don't know. I used to sit there and say it. I used to say, I'm never going to be fat like that guy. Yeah. You keep working on that one, too. No, you don't have to be. You're right. You don't have to be. Going to take a level of commitment, isn't it? But I don't care what you do. I don't care how much you work out. You look like the crazy dude on TV. When you're 50-something... And you throw that elk on your back, it don't feel like it did when you're 20. I don't care what you think. It don't. Why? The body's wearing out, isn't it? Everything is wearing out. The law of entropy is affecting our bodies until the day when you realize my body is groaning. Groaning for redemption that God promises. With that fall, doesn't just affect us physically; it affects our reasoning, our ability to understand, our ability to comprehend. It is very arrogant for us to say, as mankind, I have the ability to fully and completely understand Yahweh, a being of whom there is only one, and there's no other, no other being like him anywhere to look at but I've got that all figured out that's a height of arrogance the only way we know anything about Yahweh is what Yahweh has revealed to us, what Yahweh has shown us in his word, what God has shown us as we go, as we part the veil of the word of God and we come to understand who he is and what he's like and even in that, even at our best with the Holy Spirit guiding us and leading us through the scripture are we perfect? are we all right? We can't all be right, can we? Nope. We're all going to learn something when we see him face to face, won't we? So I don't want to get trapped into that arrogance. Well, what's my point? There's a way that seems right. I use my reasoning and I say, well, that can't be right. It's got to be this way. That can't be right. Put that archaic book down. Stop listening to what that says. And there's a way that seems right. Let's just go this way. But the, that book that we're putting down says that way is death. Not life. Life's found one way. When Jesus said, come and follow me, we follow him. That's life. Anything else, any other path is not life. And it's not taking us where life leads. And so this is the point that is being made. This is the point that they're saying, hey, come. Eat, be apart, leave your ignorance, and live and walk in the truth. Now, then they go on. And, and we have this this little parenthetical statement about what happens... Uh, to them as they go out, given their invitation. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. I was, I was going to put some videos up for you guys, but it didn't work out. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Now, what's going on here? Let's talk a little bit about the word so we understand what's being said. To correct is to argue. In other words, someone has an idea different than yours and you want to be able to express your idea, that's called correction or arguing. Uh, it's used in the Bible over and over and over again. We Somehow we got the idea that we're not supposed to argue. I'm not sure where we got that. But the scripture says, Come let us reason together. You guys remember that verse? Come let us reason together, for though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Doesn't that sound nice? It sounds very nice and and eloquent the word come let us reason together is come let us argue that's the word and if you've ever been into a jewish synagogue and seen one guy stand up on one side of the room and argue with a fellow on the other side of the room you'll have an understanding of what come let us reason together is all about it's not about disrespecting one another it's about being able to express your ideas in our world today that is something that that people don't get you used to be able to go onto a, a college campus and engage in intelligent conversation. Now they just want to hit you with a pipe. Why don't they want to engage in intelligent conversation? I don't know. They don't want to reason anymore. They don't want to discuss. They don't want to talk. And 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 that's something that has been perpetuated. So what's being said here? The confrontation that comes. There's no way to give out the invitation To wisdom. There's no way to give out the invitation of Jesus Christ without confrontation. There's no way to do that. So if we're worried about confrontation, well, then you're not going to give out an invitation. It's not going to happen. It says, correct or argue. Leviticus 19.17 Listen to what it says. Leviticus 19.17 You shall not hate your brother in your heart. But you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. It says, don't hate your brother and be unwilling to argue with him. It's interesting that the Bible that calls us to love your neighbor as yourself, in the same uh, couple of chapters that are discussing how to love your neighbor, is saying, hey, don't hate your brother and be unwilling to argue with him. Don't hate your brother and be unwilling to express your ideas and the difference between them. Don't hate your brother and leave him in a state of confusion, thinking that he has the truth if he does not have the truth. That's not loving. It is not loving to allow someone to go to hell because of our unwillingness to be uncomfortable. We've got to learn to be comfortable with who we are, who we are, and what we believe. And then the next uh, word we have, not only correcting, which is arguing, we have the idea of of rebuke, uh, to rebuke the scoffer. The rebuke the scoffer carries along the same idea. It is uh, uh, reproving. Reproving. no longer arguing so much, but trying to uh, correct and reprove, show the error of his way. It's all can be part of the same thing, but it's a little more intense. A little more intense word that's being used. So what is the warning? Well, if you do these things to the scoffer, the scoffer is the one, or the mocker, the one who, who mocks what you think or what you believe. It Scripture says, you are or can be abused. Does that happen? Sure it does. That's why I wanted to show you video, man. <clears throat> uh, correcting the wicked. You are or can be injured. True or false? True, especially in our world today, man. Uh, reproving or arguing with the scoffer. You are or can be hated. True? Yeah, you are or can be hated. They, they can hate you for for what you think, what you believe. Um, and then he gives us the, the comparison. But if you reprove, same word. If you reprove a wise man, what did it say? He'll love you. Now, the wise man is not the guy who knows more than everybody else. That's sometimes how we look at it. The wise man is the one who followed the call of wisdom. So if you keep in mind the call of wisdom and you and you compare the call of wisdom with the call of Jesus, come and follow me. That's a wise man. If you're following Jesus and you're on the wrong path or you're on the wrong direction and someone reproves you or corrects you or or talks about an idea that you have that maybe that's not biblical, the response is they love being corrected. That's the difference between wisdom and folly. How is it that you can possibly be corrected? Here's the the way we live in our world today, guys. We live in our world today in a subjective world where everything is subjective. Everything is relative. Truth. uh, Who can really know what truth is? But I'm here to tell you that in the Christian worldview, truth is what the Word of God says. And so the basis of our disagreements should have as the final arbiter the Word of God. Well're so we're getting ready to start something that's going to be called the Round Table. We're going to do it on Tuesday nights, I think, and all the round table is going to be is a topic. We're going to pick a topic and you get the idea. We're going to sit around a round table. Nobody's the head, and we're going to discuss that topic. And it's, the concept will be some type of controversial topic that people can be on either side of the disagreement, and we're going to learn to sit down and utilize what it is that the Word of God teaches. Because at the end of the day, we can sit around that table. And it's not the guy who's got the loudest argument. It's not the guy who's got the the statistics. It's whatever the Bible says. Going through, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible teach? And then at the end, that's the final arbiter. Not our opinion. I used to do this with some guys. We'd get together and we'd... Uh, uh, now he's a pastor in California... Jason and Brian Daly, and uh, we'd get together and we'd, we'd do this. I'd throw out a question to them. And I'd say, what do you guys think about this? Like, for example, what do you guys think about this? God's perfect will and His permissive will. What do you think about that? And so they start throwing out all their opinions about the perfect will of God and the permissive will of God. And then I look at them, get a little smile on my face, push the Bible out, and I say, your opinions are great. What's that say? Your opinion doesn't matter. This is the final arbiter. This is truth. We are to align ourselves to it. Not it to us. Does that make sense? So we want to recognize if a a wise man who's following Jesus Christ knows that, this is the final arbiter. So when I can sit down with somebody with whom I disagree on some, some topic from scripture, we can sit down use the word of God as a final arbiter and we can if we're diligent work our way right through the problem at the end of the day I'm fond of saying your argument is not with me it's with the word or my arguments not with you it's with the word and ultimately the word wins right what the word of God teaches wins and that's the point that confrontation for someone who has made the decision to follow wisdom is going to be better. He'll love you. If you instruct or educate a wise man, what will happen? He'll become wiser still, right? He's going to grow in wisdom. What about the righteous man? If you instruct or teach a wise man or the righteous man, what will happen with him? He'll learn. So the key indicator, guys, for the whole journey is what road are you going to take? Because it's going to indicate how you respond to the gospel. Are you guys tracking with me? The way you respond to the gospel is going to be predicated on which way are you willing to turn. Are you willing to turn toward... The Bible says the gospel is foolishness to the perishing. But to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. The invitation, the call, come and follow me, is freely given to all and everyone can respond. Right, everyone can respond, or everyone can reject. But Paul would say the natural man can't understand the things of the Spirit. The natural man who has rejected truth, rejected the Word of God, rejected Jesus Christ. When I sit down with him and I say, "But the Bible says," what's he going to say to me? Who cares what the Bible says? I don't believe the Bible. I don't. The Bible doesn't have any sway over me. You guys get what we're saying? But if it's a person who has said, you know, I I am following Jesus. Well, here's what we have to recognize. We somehow think in our minds it's always the evidence that brings people to Christ. But the Bible teaches it's the Spirit of God that brings people to Christ. It's a little different, right? We think it's our argument. I, I came up with a this great ontological argument for the existence of God and all of these things, right? And those are great arguments. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them, but they're, they're an argument to your reasoning, which is fallen. What do we need to draw a man into a relationship with God? What we need to draw somebody into a walk with him is the Spirit of God. Wasn't all that long ago I had a fellow sitting down here, first or second time in church. We're doing worship and he's balling through everything. So just so you know, that's the Spirit of God working on the heart of a man. It had nothing to do with anything we said. It did It did take him, No, when he's given the opportunity to, to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, follow him in obedience and baptism, and, and move forward with his life, you couldn't have held him back with a team of wild horses. But it was nothing that we did It was something the Spirit of God did. Are you guys tracking with me? So when we go and confront somebody, that's what we're asking for. Spirit of God moving this person's life. Open his eyes. We can call them to repentance. We can lay out for them the call. Jesus wants you to come and follow Him. And this is the way of life, right? We We can make the best case that we can make. But ultimately, the Spirit of God does the work. And the man or woman to whom you're sharing is free to choose. Yes, I'll come. No, I won't. Okay? Everybody with me? Make sense? If it don't, you can holler at me afterwards. But the idea is, that's what's being laid out here for us. Here's what happens when you do it. Now, verse 10 and 12 gives us a conclusion of what happens when we follow the call of wisdom. Look at it. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Have we heard that before? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, recognizing that God is uh, sovereign and in charge, and I'm not. He's the king. The picture throughout the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, is this. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Yes? That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The idea is simply that. The fear of the Lord. That's, that's how, how did you show the fear of the king? Bow the knee. You were in submission to him. You're in submission, being in submission to God. And then, the knowledge of the Holy One, knowing who God is, diving into the Scriptures and understanding and comprehending the incomparable God, growing in your understanding and comprehension of who He is and what He's done, that is insight. That's how we draw truth. It's all in that very personal and close relationship with God Almighty. He says in verse 11, For by me, your days will be multiplied. Who's the me? For by me. It's wisdom, right? Wisdom's inviting, yes? Wisdom saying, come follow me. So by wisdom, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. What road does wisdom walk? The road of life or the road of death? Life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. Oh, that's interesting. I wonder what he means by that. Simple. The choice is yours. The invitation's out. You can come. No one's denied an invitation. When Jesus told this story, he said, Everyone on the road, highway, byway, in the bushes, over the hedges, through the woods, to grandmother's house we go. Wherever we can get the invitation out, you are invited. All you have to do is come. Yeah? All you have to do is respond to that invitation. The choice is yours. If you are wise, then you made the decision to take the road of life. You hear what he's saying? If you scoff, you made the decision. So that's your burden to bear. Everybody tracking? And now we have the, comp- the, the the comparison made between Wisdom's Banquet and the invitation to Wisdom's Banquet. And folly. The woman folly is loud. She's seductive and knows nothing. She sits in the door of her house, takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. So, this is the rival to wisdom. The rival to wisdom. You're going to see these examples throughout the whole book of Proverbs. This comparison. Life, death, wisdom, Folly. Which path are you going to take? Folly is the unchaste wife. We've already seen her a few times. The word says she's loud. I found a great translation for it. I really liked. It's turbulent, 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 unruly. It's it's not really somebody who just has a loud voice. It's the it's a it's a loud life. Okay, <clears throat> she is. Gullible. She is ignorant. This is what the, the word in Proverbs has, uh, has told us so far about folly. She has lustful lovers interested in the gullible's body, not in his mind. <clears throat> and so, she propositions him and promises him. And she is married to another. All of these things are true about this woman, folly. She belongs to another. Everything, and in every way that she does, is in opposition to wisdom, and ultimately, in the end, the path that she is on is deadly. She invites you into her house that's built on the graves of all the men who have come before. That's kind of the idea that the picture uh, is painting. what's her position? Well, she sits outside of her house in a highest place on the town, which would indicate that she has some type of authority within the town. And to be honest, in the world and in the world system, not under a Christian worldview, in a, in a very worldly worldview, uh, this is honored and honorable. And they make movies about people like this all the time. Documentaries, following them around. This, this, is, this is what it is to have the high place in the world. And so this is what she has. She has taken a seat in the highest place of town. In their world view, in the, in the time of, of the book of Proverbs, the closer and the higher you were in the city, the more wealthy and safe you were. And that's right where she's at. In the wealthy, safe place. This is not the girl from the other side of the tracks. This is not, this is not that person. This person is affluent. This person is accepted by society. And she makes an invitation. Look at her invitation. She's calling all those who pass by. Right? Same thing as wisdom. Listen to what she says. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Isn't that the same thing wisdom said? The same invitation. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says... Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Now, if you look at the comparison between what's on the table for dinner, it's two radically different things. One is actually a meal prepared for a person for their growth and understanding in uh, in knowledge. And the other is illicit sexual offer. Well, Jackie, how do you get that? Oh, okay. well, she said... Uh, drink stolen water, you guys see that? Drink stolen water. Proverbs five fifteen says, "Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well." In the in the context of Proverbs five fifteen, it's talking about the faithful woman and the unfaithful woman. Stay home with your wife. Don't go drink other water that doesn't belong to you. So, using the same illustration, that's what she's offering, isn't it? And by the, by the fact that she's saying to him, this is stolen water, she's saying this water don't belong to you, it belongs to somebody else. That's why we say she's married. This is stolen water. In Hebrews 11.25, look what she said also. She said the stolen water is what? Tastes terrible. It's horrible. What'd she say? Oh, sweet? You're kidding me. You mean the concept that sin offers pleasure for a time? Is, is that what the Bible teaches? Hebrews 11.25 Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. It's a lie to say there's not pleasure in sin. There is pleasure, but there's not pleasure in death. Everybody tracking? How much uh, how much you willing to pay? How much you willing to give up Really, this is the question. She said, not only does she have water that's stolen, but she says, come eat bread in, in secret. The, the thing about the woman of folly, she's not dying, guys. Who's dying? The ones who follow her. What did the devil come to do? Rob, steal, kill, destroy, right? Isn't that the goal? One day, there will be judgment on his part. But in the meantime, those who hear that siren song to come and enjoy the pleasures of sin don't realize that an arrow has pierced their liver. The picture is, he's going to kill you. And it may not be the action that you do that brings death. It's the following Him. If you follow Jesus, it goes to life. If you follow the devil, it goes to death. The end result has nothing to do with how easy or hard the road is, how many obstacles there are, or or even what you might have to endure in your physical life. The end result is one has life, and the end result of the other is death. Look at the conclusion in verse 18. But he does not know that the dead are there. Just want you to see the picture. That her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Are in the depths of hell. Her place is built on a pile of bones. Of all the men who have entered in there before. Two banquets. One banquet is promising life, understanding, comprehension, growth. One banquet is promising the passing pleasure of sin. And it's built on the bones of everyone who has come in. And those voices are still calling today. Those voices are still shouting out today. Jesus saying, come and follow me. And... The way of folly. We will not have this man to rule over us. The call still goes forth. One leads to life. One leads to death. And the introduction to Proverbs is letting us know. The wise man has chosen to follow wisdom. To follow Christ. To follow the Lord. Because that's the way of life. And the fool rejects that instruction, rejects the message, rejects that gospel, and wants to walk the road of death. I shared before, I'm sure uh, back when Led Zeppelin wrote Stairway to Heaven, there was a little bit of extra influence they had as they penned the words to that song. That's probably still one of the most famous songs ever, no? No. You walk into any guitar center on the face of the earth and it's playing. Somebody is sitting down playing it. It's probably the first thing we learned on a guitar ever. But one of the lyrics in the song is there's two paths you can go by, but in the long run there's still time to change the road you're on. And that's not untrue, but the concept of that I think the scripture is teaching us is, make sure the one that you're changing, the one that you're moving to is the road of life. Take the path that leads to Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? Why don't you stand with me, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for an opportunity to study your word, God, to open up and comprehend wisdom literature god i pray that we're challenged i pray that that uh that we have questions i pray lord that uh, it causes us to want to grow know and understand more lord i pray that as we just come before you and as we uh just go be you lord that you would guide us and lead us into your truth lord that you would help us hold fast to the final arbiter of truth in our life that our lives would rightly reflect the truth found In the word of God. And Lord I pray. That you would help each and every one of us. To walk the path of wisdom. To walk the path of light. Being led. On our way. By the word of God. God we give you praise. For this time we could share together. In Jesus name. Amen.